Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week was our Crossing Christmas Weekend Special Production, and we have a message from our core operations pastor, Stephen Robles. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Hello and welcome to the Crossing Church. Would you keep that applause going as we welcome our South Shore campus with Pastor Hector, our Plant City campus with Pastor Michael, and everyone watching online. We're so glad you came to the Crossing Church today, and we're so glad you're here at our Tampa campus as well. Well, if it's your first time or if you're brand new to The Crossing, I wanted to introduce you to our lead pastors. This is a picture of them. This is Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara. Come on, Crossing family. You can show them your appreciation. <laughs> Believe me, they wanted nothing more than to be here this weekend and Pastor Greg delivering the word, but he's just not feeling well. But we believe he's going to be back Christmas Eve delivering the message. And so one more time, can you show them your appreciation and your love? We're praying for you. We believe you'll be back soon. Actually, let's do that even now. Let's pray for them, and let's pray for this service. Heavenly Father, we just worship you. First of all, we give you glory and honor, for you are the reason that we are here today. God, we pray for our lead pastors, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamar, bring swift healing and strength, that they be back 100% quickly, that they feel your presence in their home even now. And now we pray for everyone here at our campuses, South Shore, Plant City, online. We pray that your presence is felt and that your word is heard. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So did you enjoy our Crossing Christmas weekend special, our production? Didn't the teams do a great job? Worship, creative, everyone. It was so much fun. We wanted to give you guys some laughs. You know, it's been a challenging year for many people. It's crazy that the new year is just two weeks away, and the month of March was just a few days ago. Some of you will get that on the way home. It's all right. You know, you probably recognize some of the skits we did today, some we've taken from like the Tonight Show and the Late Show, some of those Tonight Show host type sketches. And you know, what's interesting is for the past 50 years, you know, Tonight Show hosts and talk show hosts, they've kind of done the same thing. They'll bring laughter and they'll bring joy, but they also comment on a lot of the serious issues going on in our nation. And we felt, well, we should be able to do that too as the church because we actually have an eternal hope that we can share and tell people. Amen. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, you know, in the past, Johnny Carson, he's commented on things like Martin Luther King Jr. and David Letterman in 2001. He commented on September 11th. And even this year, if you watch any of the Tonight Shows, they've commented on what's going on this year as well. You know, it's interesting, these celebrities or these talk show hosts, the Tonight Show hosts, we kind of imbue a sense of trust on them. Maybe it's because they've achieved some notoriety or a level of success or fame But because they're on the other side of a screen, we kind of just trust them inherently. We kind of look to them for wisdom. And it's interesting because we don't know much about them personally, and yet we still trust them. And I think it's because trust is one of the most scarce resources in the world today. We don't trust easily or quickly. In 2012, there was a TED Talk given by Rachel Botsman, and she titled her talk this, The Currency of the New Economy is Trust. I'm going to say that again. The currency of the new economy is trust. And what she was trying to say is while you might have money to buy things, actually the thing you can't buy and is most valuable is trust. If you're a business owner, knowing that you have clientele that trusts you, you know that they'll keep coming back. And if many of you shopping online, you probably did a lot of that this season, it's hard to know where to trust or what product to trust or what service to trust. And that's why whenever you go online or buy anything, What do they ask you to do as soon as you buy it? Leave a review, 
right? Leave a star review. And you see it everywhere. You stay at a hotel. Immediately after, you get an email. Leave us a review. Someone comes and fixes your AC. They want a review. That toilet paper you bought on Amazon. Come on, you know it's true. They wanted a review too. And it's because we don't know what to trust. We don't know who to trust. And so we depend on like the five-star ratings or we ask our friends and family on social media for recommendations, for car mechanics, and for everything. Because trust is actually the currency. We're looking on who and what to trust. I'll give you a few funny examples of those reviews you've probably seen online. You know, Yelp. Yelp is where you get all those restaurant reviews and funny things like that. Well, I saw this review on Yelp for a restaurant. I thought it was so funny. This person said, the entire kitchen and wait staff saw an ice cream truck and ran outside, <laughs> leaving me alone in the restaurant. Ten minutes later, they all came back with ice cream cones. I still can't believe this actually happened. One star. <laughs> this next review is actually for the dictionary on Amazon. This person left a review. They said, I bought this book because my professor said I needed it, but Google is free. One star. <laughs> you know, it's a tough year when even the dictionary is getting one star. And maybe you saw this t-shirt. It says, 2020, very bad, would not recommend. One star. <laughs> maybe some of you felt like that this year. But the whole reason these pervasive reviews are kind of everywhere and everything's about rating from ride sharing to your purchases is because they're all trying to build on trust. And you know, it's funny, trust develops in us from a very early age. You know, even from infancy, Babies who are cared for and nurtured actually develop trust more easily with people around them. And then, you know, that moves on into childhood and elementary school. How many of you remember the pinky promise? Anybody do a pinky promise back in the day? And, you know, as a kid, it feels so substantial. You know, I'm making a promise. This person is placing their trust in me. And so you feel like this is a weighty thing, something that we need to do. But, you know, as we get older and later in life, sometimes trust is replaced by doubt. We just don't trust as easily or as quickly anymore. Maybe you have that one friend that always says, yeah, 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 I'll help you move, but you know they ain't showing up. <laughs> or that one person that says, yeah, 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 I'll be there early, but you know they're not going to be early. And over time, it's harder and harder to know what to trust and who to trust. But if we're not careful, that doubt rather than trust touches everything in our life including our relationship with God. We must be very careful that even as we get older and even as while it is more and more difficult to know what to trust, that we must understand that God is always trustworthy and that we can place our trust in Him. Amen? Because here's the thing about God. He always, without fail, keeps His promises. As a matter of fact, He cannot fail. He cannot not keep his promises. God never breaks a promise. And it's not just because God tries harder than everyone else. It's not because God gives more effort than us or his calendar is better managed so he doesn't double book himself. It's not that. It's actually that it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to break a promise. His very nature precludes him from doing it. So when God speaks something, when God says, I am going to do this, he must do it. There really is no choice. He never breaks a promise. Two quick verses to describe what I said. Hebrews 6, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it talks about God in this way. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. See, it is impossible for God to lie. And there's one other verse, Titus 1-2. It says, in the hope of eternal life, that God who cannot lie promised before time began. You see, God's very nature and character is that he cannot lie and he cannot break a promise. And so as I began to think about this idea of promises that God has kept, I tried to find one, maybe even the oldest one, and I think I found it. In Genesis chapter 3, we actually see the very first promise that God ever made. And if you know in Genesis 1 and 2, it's the creation story. God creates the heavens and the earth and the animals and all of that, and then he creates mankind. And he tells mankind, you can live here in the garden and you'll be at peace and you'll have relationship with me. Just don't do this one thing. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. And God created free will and gave it to humanity. And we as humans, by our very nature, want to resist. We choose to reject God. And we say, well, I can do it better myself. Don't tell me how to do things. And that's what happened in the garden. And so with that introduction of free will, Adam and Eve actually sinned. They broke that relationship with God in the beginning. And the Bible tells us that when sin enters the world, like in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you see, the moment that sin entered the world, the moment that mankind first rejected God, it was in that moment that God actually made the first promise. You see, after he sees Adam and Eve have sinned and they're now being separated from him, he actually turns to the enemy. He turns to Satan and he makes this promise in verse 15 of chapter 3. God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan here. And between your seed and her seed, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And you see, that simple verse right there is actually a promise that God is going to send a savior to the world. He is saying that through the lineage of Adam and Eve, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King David, all throughout the Old Testament, the genealogy will eventually end in Christ Jesus. And Jesus Christ, when he comes to earth, you might strike his heel, and he will die on the cross for a moment, but then Jesus Christ is going to overcome death, hell, and the grave, and the promise will be fulfilled. Isn't it amazing that in one of the darkest moments of human history came the brightest promise that God ever spoke, the promise of a Savior and a Redeemer? We see this promise did not come quickly. This promise was spoken maybe 5,000 years ago, three, four, 5,000 years ago. And through that time, if you read the entire Old Testament, the Jewish people and the Israelites are looking for the promise. They said, God, you have promised us a Savior. Where is he? And for hundreds and thousands of years, we follow the Israelites through Egypt, slavery. They're wandering in the desert. Then eventually they get to the promised land, but they continue to disobey. They go into Babylon, into exile. And all those years, hundreds to thousands of years, the Israelites are looking for the promise. And how many of you know sometimes it's hard to wait? And maybe even some of you are waiting for something right now. You're waiting for a job to come through. You're waiting for that son or daughter to come back to the faith. Whatever it is you're waiting for, I want to encourage you, if God has made a promise, he must keep it, and he will keep it. He will come through even for you. Amen. But God did not leave the Israelite people alone. 
even throughout the entire Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of times there were prophets. And the prophets told the Israelite people, hold on, he is coming, the Savior, the Messiah is coming. Two quick prophecies, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's amazing is these prophecies prophecies were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came to the earth. And yet these prophecies describe events in Jesus' life down to the moment. Again, the prophet's saying, hold on, he's coming. And one more from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And I love that name for Jesus, Emmanuel, because when you translate it, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And through that name, God is saying, I'm not just creating you and leaving you alone. I'm not just letting you through this human experience by yourself. I'm going to come down in the flesh, and I will be Emmanuel, God with you. And you'll be able to feel my presence every day of your life. And anything you go through, I will be with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And then from the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament, in your Bible is probably just a couple pages But for the Israelite people, it was 400 years of silence, 400 years between the Old and New Testament as they continued to look for the Savior, but nothing came. But then one day, one fateful evening, when a woman named Mary heard from an angel, the promise was fulfilled. You see, in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26, we have the account of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That might have been a little intimidating for Mary receiving this message, I'm sure. But probably even more so, she was dreading telling Joseph, (laughs) her fiancé, who they had not been with each other yet, if you know what I mean. But God did not leave Joseph alone either. Actually, an angel appeared to Joseph as well. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we have that account. And it says, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet This is recalling the prophet Isaiah's words, says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is with us. You see, shortly after, Mary and Joseph fled to the town of Bethlehem to escape King Herod as he was trying to kill all the firstborn sons of every family, trying to cut off the Savior, but he couldn't do it. You see, in Luke chapter 2, 
I encourage you as a family at home this Christmas season, maybe Christmas Day, read Luke chapter 2 all together. But just these two verses, Luke 2, chapter, or verses 6 and 7, it says this. While they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. You see those two simple verses, no fanfare, no lights, no cameras, no crowd to see what just happened, a lowly stable with a baby was actually the fulfillment of the first and oldest promise that God ever made, that he would send a savior to the world for us. The baby Jesus was Emmanuel, God himself. As John 1 says, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came to this earth. And you see, this sets apart Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion, God is either vindictive or absent or has created and left us to fend for ourselves or we don't know if we can trust him. But Christianity is different. Christianity, God said, no, I'm going to come and be with you in the flesh, in person. I will enter history and I'll be Emmanuel, God with you. And my promise will be tangible. You'll be able to see it and hear it and feel it because Jesus Christ will walk this earth as a person. And you will know for sure that I am with you. God himself is with us. But you see, the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was not just to be born. You see, the wage for sin didn't change. The wage of sin is death. And so Jesus came so he could pay that wage on our behalf. While the promise of Jesus being born was one part, to fulfill it completely came the cross. And you see, even the prophets in the Old Testament foretold that as well. Isaiah, who knew to be called Emmanuel, said this in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, it says, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. You see, it was the Messiah being lifted up on the cross 2,000 years ago that was actually the fulfillment of the promise that he would pay the price for the sins of all mankind. And you see, once that promise was fulfilled, he left us all one more promise. And this promise is to everyone, everyone hearing me right now, everyone throughout history. You might know this promise from John 3:16. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the promise for us today. Amen. As you read scripture, you will see so many promises from God. But I want to give you just one more brief one so that you can hold on to it as well. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And what that means is no matter how many times we fail or falter, no how many times we feel we've messed up, We've never messed up too much 
to preclude ourselves from God's forgiveness. He will never forsake you no matter what. I heard this analogy that no matter how hard you run away from God's love, no matter how far away you think you are from Christ himself, the moment you turn and look for him, he's standing right there, face to face, the promise of God, Emmanuel, God is with us. Amen. And so what better thing to do during this season? If you have never given your life to Christ, if you're saying, I know he is real, I know he is there, but I have not submitted my life to him, we're going to do that right now. And you have an opportunity to do that wherever you are at our campuses and online. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And there's nothing special about the words we're going to say. It's the posture of your heart saying, God, I give you my life. And so let's all do that together. If everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes. And we're all going to repeat this together so you're not alone if you're doing this for the first time. Everyone say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. I want to serve you. Teach me to follow you for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed that Christmas message. Don't forget to join us Christmas Eve this year, 5 o'clock at all of our campuses and online at wearecrossing.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch all of our messages on demand and watch our services live at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. Thanks for joining us this weekend, and we can't wait to worship with you soon.